0: Okay, so
1: the idea maybe tic tacs are board. like that. And, and business teams. executives, and they're all made out of tic tac. What What? what, 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 what era song.
0: does this song? 50s, 60s. 50s. 50s, 60s. Okay. Yeah, late 50s. Wow.
1: Well, where did you guys? <coughs> Alex Matt Gambetta. Alex, Alex Jankowski. Alex Glowski uh, to Matt Gambetta,
0: uh, to Jared Jankowski, to Julie McKeon. To Bea Closser. Oh. We'll
1: teach you the whole thing, but not right now. Oh, that's the worst (laughs) version of the genealogy (laughs) narrative in Matthew
2: ever. What?
1: Wow.
2: Oh! Hello everyone, and welcome to Table, where angels dancing on the head of a pin can change your life. I'm Aiden, also known as Celtic Catholic Fire. I'm
0: Julie.
2: I'm Bea. And I'm Jarek. So, happy liturgical new year, everybody. It's Advent. So, because it's Advent and the start of the new church year, we're going to talk about this
1: season and why we celebrate it the way we do. And I guess, like, a first basic question that I've always had, even when I was a kid, was, like, why do we start with Advent? It's a really weird time to begin, especially because there's so much talk, I think, of eschatology. Um, There's all this talk of looking forward towards the end of time, um, and so I never quite understood why the liturgically you developed in that way. Thoughts? Yeah.
0: The, the, the really simple answer I always heard when I was a kid was because that's the beginning of Jesus' life, kind of. Like,
2: mm-hmm. he, like that you begin sense.
0: with the, yeah. with the person that your son focusing around in the religion when he's a baby.
2: At the same time, though, then why don't we end with Easter? Easter. Uh,
0: see, that was or my Sanctuary question, and, and then i i that was never. That's that. That just gets left out of the
2: metaphor. Ultimately, if we began with with Advent and ended with Easter as well, we'd have a third of a year.
0: One teacher said that, um, and this wasn't a, like a good answer, but they said basically because all the holidays would be back to back, and we'd have a third of what you yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, we ought to break up the ordinary time.
1: I mean, that's think stand all of our holidays are sort of back to back. I mean, like we have from like. December to, like, the middle of April, and then we have this gigantic swath of time where there's nothing other than Pentecost. Well, ordinary the teaching time and
0: the learning and the parables. I, yeah, well, actually, actually, why don't we end with Easter? Okay, well,
2: actually, on a, on, a, no, on a certain level, the liturgical year as it currently stands mimics the life and history of the Church. church. Because the Church began with the life of Christ, so you start with Advent going into Christmas, and then continuing into, like, going into Easter. But then the church doesn't end, like, the story of the church doesn't end with Christ's death and resurrection. It, like, the four Gospels yeah. are not even half of the New Testament, I think, lengthwise. Maybe about half. Not but, a third, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay, so point being, the church's story really, in some sense, begins after Easter. It begins with Pentecost, with the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and starting to proclaim the Word of God. So, this big chunk of ordinary time after Easter is just the life of the church, the ordinary life of the church, which proceeds from the time of Christ down to the present day. And then at the end of ordinary time, we start looking forward to the end of time, which overlaps with the eschatological ideas found in Advent. So, this, sort of the church sense. year cycles back on itself, and yeah. we begin remembrance anew. Pretty answer, <laughs> But isn't it
1: like,
0: that that does make sense? But isn't it kind of odd to? Think like you think of eschatology, you think lots of like dark, horrible, dreadful dark, dreadful things, things. and, and that <laughs> seems oddly juxtaposed with hope. and, Oh, a baby's gonna be born.
2: Well, the subject of like se- like end of time, second coming eschatology in depth is definitely a scriptural analysis for another day in terms of yeah. what mm-hmm. the world of revelation
1: says. But but I think, and sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I was just gonna say, like, Advent's always been associated with this tradition of multiple comings of Christ, I think. Um, most explicitly, Advent is related to, like, the idea of preparation for the first coming of Christ, which we commemorate on Christmas. Um, at the same time, Advent is also very clear about looking forward to the second coming of Christ at the end of time, um, when he will come to sort of judge all nations, etc. Um, and then the Church has always had a, a notion of another coming of Christ, which is the coming of Christ in the sacrament. Um, of, you, of the Eucharist every single time you receive it. And so, in a sense, in Advent, I think we have a threefold preparation. Um, on one hand, we have a preparation for Christmas, in a physical sense and in the spiritual sense. On the other hand, we have a sort of looking forward towards the end time, um, preparing for Jesus to come again, physically, on earth. And on the third hand, I guess I've grown to third hand, um, we have. It's, it's, it's sort of a reminder of our own preparation that we should be making every single time that we receive the sacrament. And so I think Advent is a really good way to start the liturgical year in part because it's intrinsically contemplative and intrinsically reflective. And it's also intrinsically hopeful. It's also, in addition to being contemplative and reflective, it's also forward-looking. I mean, that's why we have Isaiah for all the first readings, or not all the first readings, but a number of them. Right, right. Because there's all these promises that Isaiah is making to the people of Israel, which become fulfilled. To some degree, which begin to become fulfilled at Christmas.
2: Although that's an interesting point, um, I do I do have more thoughts on the, the sort of the coming of Christ in the Eucharist as connected to those first those first two comings, because mm-hmm. it, it involves a direct representation of Christ's first coming yeah. as the incarnate Christ, but also looks forward to the eternal mass at the end of time. Yeah. But I want to jump particularly on what you mentioned about Isaiah, mm. because we. This is actually a really interesting point that I heard recently on a Ben Shapiro podcast, of all things, Mm -hmm. simply because Jewish (laughs) and Christian interpretation. And I mean, we do some, like, theology across the board here, so this might be a useful short tangent to get into of how we interpret those verses. Um, oh, the, the the
1: the verse that of Isaiah.
2: Yeah. yeah, the suffering servant, the child born of a virgin. Yeah, I mean,
1: some of them are really, really explicit. Like, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Well, right, but what they shall name him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. We'll right, land. but what yeah. what Jewish interpreters would tell you that word actually means young woolen,
2: and it's referring to what's the king? Um, the righteous king at the end of the book of Kings after the after the line of not what? Josiah was it Josiah? Yeah, Josiah. Okay, Josiah. the one who refound the yeah. scroll of the Torah mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the traditional Jewish reading is that... Because, of course, the prophecy did have a meaning. And then this is actually, I think, what I wanted to get to that, sort of the point of all the, of this Isaiah tangent, is that prophecy is read in multiple different ways that are all valid. The, because the prophecy yeah. of Isaiah had a meaning to the Jewish people it was read into at the time, and it wasn't interpreted as the coming of a suffering servant savior. that isn't, like, the Messiah. Because yeah. that the Jewish conception of the Messiah was very political. You yeah. find this in the Gospels, even. Mm-hmm. Instead, when Christ came, when Christ was incarnated, like that act was revolutionary enough that it caused the apostles and the early Christians to re-examine the Scriptures in light of what had been revealed Yeah, and start to see how this had been intended all along.
1: And it seems pretty clear that, at least if we take the Gospels at face value, Jesus saw himself... Absolutely, is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Oh, of course, of course. Um, he identified himself with the one in Psalm one ten, who's speaking. You know, the Lord said to my Lord, yeah. "Sit at my right hand, etc." And like he goes through this complex analysis of how the Lord couldn't have been David, um, and yeah, he saw himself as the culmination of all these prophecies as well. Yeah. That scene in Luke where he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and yeah. says, "The Spirit yeah. so of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim all these things, good news to the poor, and set captives free, and." A year acceptable to the Lord. And so I tell you, this prophecy has been fulfilled. In your hearing.
2: Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting how the, the passages... Because was obviously a meaning that was accepted at the time, and also an additional meaning that can be found in light of the later revelation. That was, was what I wanted to draw. Yeah. English. What I wanted to draw out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and,
0: and another prophecy of, is that... Uh, the Canticle of Simeon, where uh, Mary is presenting the child Jesus, well, baby Jesus, to the temple. And he says, behold, your, your heart will be pierced by seven swords. Mm-hmm. And, um, later on, that, that does come true in his eventual incarnation and through his there's, there's life and is dying upon the cross and she was
2: suffering at the foot of the cross there. But actually that's that's a good a good segue into another way of looking at Advent. Uh, Advent as a Marian season. Because we have the Feast of the Immaculate Conception yesterday. It happened you know. yesterday. Yeah. yeah. The, and that included the readings from the Annunciation to Mary. And we go through a lot of the story of Mary's pregnancy in Luke before Christmas. mm mm-hmm. And so I think it would be good to reflect on Advent and how it connects to the Mariology and how we can view the season that
1: way. Yeah, I mean, like, even liturgically speaking, there's a lot that's connected, that Advent has in connection to Our Lady. Like, for example, Rarate Masses were a tradition, um, they're still... Some people still do them regularly now, but they were especially a tradition before the Second Vatican Council. What Um, kind of Mass was that? Rorate Mass. It's a Latin word which comes out of the opening chant of that Mass. Um, But it's a Mass for Our Lady in Advent. It was often done at sunrise with candles and all this stuff. Mm, Um, Like, there is a sense in which, as we are waiting for the coming of Christ at Christmas, no one is waiting more than Our Lady, who's literally pregnant with this. (laughs) Um, The the propers and the readings from the fourth Sunday of Advent, at least in the old calendar, and I think in the new one as well, are very, very Marian. Um, The Annunciation, I think, might be the reading for that Mass. Um, And so I think there's a sense in which Advent is also a time for us to reflect on Mary's role in salvation history. Yeah. And actually, speaking
2: of the Immaculate Conception, the feast of yesterday, and how that connects to the Mariology of Advent, there is an excellent moment... There's a moment that I love in the gospel story of Saint Luke, the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel first appears to Mary. He addresses her as "Hail, full of grace." And, yes, and everyone here has heard my spiel on this before. Yes. Because I, had... oh, I thank, you, sorry, An- right exactly.
1: yeah.
2: thank you, Sister, exactly. Thank you, Sister Anastasia, for introducing me to this. This was excellent. Um, people struggle with translating that "full of grace" word. Yes. Um, Saint Jerome. Is he the one who Planet yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, full yeah. of grace. Some people translate it "most highly favored one," but none of that really gets at the full meaning of the word. The Greek word used there is "kakari and it's a greeting used nowhere else in the
1: Bible, for yeah. starters. There's like. The base word of it is the karito or something, and yeah, that's usually like maybe twice, maybe three times in the entire rest of the New Testament. Right, but this particular form, yeah. this
2: particular form is completely unique because it's the past participle, I want to say, is the grammatic form. It's, it's, it's I don't know. I don't there think it's There the past
0: might perfect. be a present in there because it's also ongoing.
2: No, sorry, past perfect. Past, past perfect. perfect. That's, that's perfect. some kind of
1: participle.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the, the point is, it's, it's the word, it's the verb form meaning to be given grace with the tense that implies having begun in the past and continuing into the present. And it's used as a formal title. It's used as a name. So if you read that as being reflective of Mary's nature, which is what those sort of names do, it's like Abram being renamed Abraham, essentially. That It's the nature of Mary to always have been and continue to be given the fullness of grace. That is what the Annunciation
1: in St. Luke is telling us. And that's why we celebrate something like the Immaculate Conception. Right. Which is something that grows straight out of that tradition. Yes, exactly. And that's why you can see
2: Mary was troubled by this greeting and wondered what it could mean. That wasn't just...
1: Because it was an angel giving the greeting, it's because it's pretty troubling in itself. Okay, yeah, that's that's worth. Like, people been have been like given visions of angels before. Yeah, so terrifying. But and Mary, really Mary would have known this. Mary would have been very familiar with the tradition of angel apparitions in Judaism, in the in 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 the Jewish scriptures and in the history of the Jewish people. But this was something totally yeah. unprecedented yes. and totally like it never happened again. It can't happen again. Well, like, right? Yeah. This is why we say Mary is. Well, the media.
2: Well, this is why we have so many titles and great and glories to Mary, because she participates in those through her son, and through the redemptive grace of her son, she has been given and continues to be given the fullness of God's grace. She most fully participates in his life, which is why we see her as the embodiment of the church, the neck of the church that connects us to Christ. So this is actually a really good time to reflect on Mary's role yes, um, in our salvation. Um, exclamation,
0: hail... Full of grace, uh, that was one that she was troubled by because people would only hear that in the context of their, uh, you know, the coming of death. Mm. So that, mm. that's why she was very startled by this.
1: Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it was in that, that context. Oh. Mm-hmm. Even the
2: manger is in the shadow of the cross. Yeah. Speaking of the prophecy of Simeon? Yeah.
0: Uh, and the manger is, is the wood, which uh, foreshadows
1: the wood of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so this is sense so in which Advent, like, is looking forward, and it's looking forward in hope, but the hope that Advent is looking forward to is the hope of the incarnation, but the incarnation itself looks forward to the hope of the cross. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we all have to remember in this season, that we're looking forward to an end, which doesn't come until April this year? April 21st think, is yeah. Easter, I think? Yeah. yeah. Well and that end doesn't that end doesn't really come forward until the second coming, circling back around to Advent all over again. Yeah. Actually that's a
2: good talking about the sort of Christmas in the Shadow of Easter, this is a good bridge into Advent being the shadow of Lent, mm. honestly. Interesting. And Advent is a penitential season.
1: Yes. It is
2: because yes. Understood as a time of preparation for the three comings of Christ that Jared mentioned. The Incarnation, the Second Coming, and in the Eucharist. All three of those are reasons to do the penitential practices we do during Lent. Prayer, fasting, and abstinence. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's never a bad time to be doing those
1: things, yeah. except arguably on Sundays in terms of fasting and abstinence. And maybe, yeah, like, don't, don't fast on Easter Sunday. That might not be. <laughs> yeah. There, there are, the church has
2: times of celebration and joy along with times of penance, but, Generally speaking, there's not a bad time to be engaging in those works of mercy. But Advent is a particularly good time, for exactly that reason.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think we do that often enough. People make Lenten promises. Should we be making Advent promises? Yeah, especially given, like, the New Year stuff, like, yeah. some sort of ecclesiastical New Year resolution. That seems to me to be <laughs> exactly what we should be doing. Honestly. Yeah. You look troubled by this, Julie.
0: No, I'm <laughs> trying to think of what an Advent resolution would... Because I want it, it shouldn't, I to not just mirror a Lenten resolution. Yeah. mm like, it's supposed to be shadowy, it's supposed to be different.
1: Yeah.
0: And it should account for the fact that the thing we're preparing for, waiting for, is not Easter, and the Passion, the and the Resurrection, but, like, the, the coming of
2: Jesus in the first place. That's a
1: good question. It should be How can those be distinctified?
2: I wonder, because Lent tends to mirror the 40 days of the desert. Like, we put in almsgiving, into the list of penances you one could do for life. But people tend to focus on Christ abstinence fasting. and fasting and prayer. and Asceticism essentially, because it's mirroring in some sense Christ's forty days in the desert. Similarly then, maybe do we want to focus on Advent penances as a time for works of charity and works of mercy? to, there's multiple connections that you can make, between, like, the wise men bringing gifts, between, like, and Mary Shelf and Josephine. Yeah, Mary and That's Josephine like gave God the world. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but yes, yeah. 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 So, so, uh, essentially Christ humbling himself, and taking up the nature of yeah. uh, of poor humanity, essentially, of putting himself in an incredibly humble state, even relative to other people at his time, should give us cause
1: to look to the poor and vulnerable in our society during Advent. Especially because Christmas... And this might be getting onto a different topic entirely. Oh. But, like, the lead-up to Christmas, what becomes, like, sort of the secular version of Advent, is so materialistic and so obsessed oh, with, like... yeah. The wrong things that maybe, like, a focus on acts of mercy and acts of giving to the poor and acts of the corporal works of mercy yes. in particular, as well as spiritual ones, would sort of, like... Help to resist this tendency to make Christmas a purely materialistic thing and Christmas mm-hmm. Christians have been fighting against this forever and ever but like, yeah. um, but like now I think in particular there's a special kind of fight to be had about that, and like I'm not complaining about like oh the death of Christmas, all this stuff like because I think that should, that's a different kind of idolatry of the way that religious holidays work um,
2: yeah the war on Christmas will be a topic for another day yeah. yeah.
0: But especially because people do Thanksgiving, they're like, okay, I went to my soup kitchen. For a day. Now it's Christmas time and the gifts are for me and then. Yeah. The yeah. celebration well, is. Yeah. Well, Don't see I just, people well, volunteering
2: people to, because of Christmas. If you'll go to soup kitchens on Thanksgiving, even that's something oh. of a stretch share Mo- yeah. charitable work. Most often, Thanksgiving is followed by well, the, like a weekend of the Friday. biggest materialistic <laughs> celebration we have Friday. in this culture. Yeah. Like, the real holiday is Black Friday, if we're being honest.
1: Black Friday in some places starts. like On 7 a.m. on Christmas. Uh, not Christmas. <laughs> on, on Thanksgiving. Yeah. On Thanksgiving. Friday. Like, it's. it's, it's Yeah. Uh, Well, and I have problems with the whole idea of Christmas prep starting at Thanksgiving at all, just because Thanksgiving is like a secular market, which has nothing to do with the liturgical year at all. Like, we should be beginning, I think, preparation for Christmas on the first Sunday of Advent. That's what Advent is literally for. Yeah. Yeah. Getting
0: to...
2: My Friday belongs in the Easter room. I just... I have to. Oh! Oh. Oh!
1: it Good Friday.
0: No, it used to be called Black Friday. Did it? Yes, that's a tradition that's an older name for. Good I
1: think they wore black vestments on Black Friday before the like, before the liturgical changes. I'm not positive, but I think they did. Huh? Do
2: you know that? No, not that I really Okay, know. I think they wore. Well, there you go. So yeah, Black Friday belongs to the crew. <laughs> oh dear, where does Cyber Monday belong, then?
0: <laughs> Hell. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, dear. But to get back to this topic of, like, secular preparation for Christmas, there's there's a tendency to, like, start celebrating Christmas, not even at Advent, start celebrating Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. Like the basic yep. yeah. Thanksgiving Day Parade, for goodness or, sake. like,
0: doesn't Disney Channel have a marathon of movies leading up to Every, the 25-day-of-Christmas marathon of movies?
2: I think it would ABC. Hallmark like, also uh, does that. Yeah, so like every, yeah. Channel, every, every channel. Every yeah. channel has Christmas yeah. movies leading up to their Christmas mm-hmm. movies. And that's not to say that, like, singing. We're not getting into the whole when do you start singing Christmas carols debate. That's I'd like that's like asking when you start singing Easter songs.
1: Like, listen to them whenever the heck you want to. Right. Just Whatever they like, right Christmas Yeah. Carols
2: and
0: you're
1: fine. Yeah. What? yeah what? Not the uh, not like that's Santa a, Baby. also like, a topic just, for no. a different
2: podcast. See, so, yeah, no. Christmas hymns is another yeah, yeah can of worms indeed. But the point being we start celebrating Christmas as a culture long before the day of Christmas, and I suppose this gets into like Christmas itself and how we lose focus on its true meaning, but Christ you need to prepare for Christmas. Like the coming of Christ is not something you can just have happen and be ready for. There's an entire parable about this with the wise and the foolish virgins, with yeah. the oil or lack of oil. You need to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Yeah. All the comings of Christ. Yes. Is it, does this give us a tangent into receptivity of communion? I was just thinking that's,
0: that's oh, where uh, I was clearly going. All right. We can yeah. go there. All
1: right. Uh,
0: well, I mean, you need to be prepared. Well, you say you need to be prepared for the, for, for the coming of Christ. Well, first I was saying the third coming of the... Third, third item in yeah. the list of items
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was even the Eucharist. Like, what is that? What is that? Maybe a harsh... Part of an Advent resolution is not just this, these outward works of charity, but being more intentional yes. in our preparation if we're receiving communion at mass.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like
0: like a, re- a heightening of that because we should be very much focusing on: Are you in a state to receive communion all year long? Yes. But, yeah. Like call back to that. Yeah. Especially in Advent, take it's, special care.
1: Yeah.
0: Because I mean, Mary. Like because Mary was, but she was
1: great. Well, yeah, was so exactly. a moment
0: of her existence. So it's, yeah.
1: And, like, I think, also, this is a particular problem when we start getting into the question of, like, priester Christians. Christ. Um, the Christmas Easter, like... Yeah. Yeah. c yeah. Catholics saw it. I have not heard the c term. I heard... I, well, the term I learned was priester but then I
2: heard, learned c and as well. Okay. priester just, but, like, sounds a little... Well, not reductive, but we're trying to get these people more involved in the church. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, question of, like being in a state to receive the sacrament, is like, I don't know how many people know that you need to be in a state of grace to receive the yeah, sacrament. Yeah, maybe,
2: maybe we should yeah. revisit that real quick. This is mm-hmm. something in Corinthians? I don't remember. Is it first yeah, yeah, 1 Corinthians? One of them. the epistles of Paul, I believe, First Corinthians, and the, one of the great travesties of the modern era of the church is that we removed it from the readings. Like, the office of readings used to have this passage from St. Paul. Corpus Christi. Every Every feast of Corpus Christi, feast of the body of Christ. And they got rid of it for reasons unknown, probably involving offending people. Well, known uh, but not good. I think it involved offending people. Yes. Um, yeah. But the p- point being, there's a passage in Corinthians where Paul states, "If you eat and drink unworthily, talking about the the communion bread and wine, so the body and blood of Christ. If you eat and drink unworthily, you eat and drink damnation unto yourself." The church just describes it as an act of sacrilege. Because receiving the euphoric. <laughs> what? What did oh I say? The
0: sacrilege? <laughs> uh.
1: Sorry, Aiden. That was a little bit of but you, a But Julie and I just looked at each other and we we've lost control. Uh. <laughs> uh.
2: Sacrilege? A sacrilege? Yep. Sacrilege. I'm Sac- sorry, that's how I learned how to pronounce <laughs> it. Sacrilege? Papal. Papal.
0: Yeah, see,
2: now you say it. Okay. Anyway, so yes. an act of which is
1: independent of the pronunciation of sacrilege, <laughs> should not be that amusing. No, it's not amusing. <sighs> at all.
0: It's yeah. Especially
1: because, like, I mean, there's all these debates today about, like, who and under what state can one receive communion. Um, and I think Advent, to bring this back around, is a good time to sort of reflect Maybe, like, not necessarily legislatively, although maybe that, too, but more about, like, am I in a state to receive communion? Um, and you have to be in a state of grace. You have to be in a state where you have not committed the mortal sins mm-hmm. since your last confession in order to receive communion. Um, or else it's... Not only does it do more harm than good, but, it like, it's the greatest kind of harm that one can do to oneself. Um, and I think it's a tragedy of catechesis that people aren't being taught to receive communion reverently and properly and to refrain from receiving it when you shouldn't. Um, which is I think almost equally as important.
0: A cl- clarification question. Um so there's this line in the Mass about Lord I am not worried that you should enter under mm-hmm. my roof and only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Today. Yeah. What is the second like that, that that's like one of my favourite lines in the Mass, but what is the second half of that actually saying? Like what is the but say only say the word and my
1: soul shall be healed?
0: So the is reason that that actually
1: th- saying like right then some kind of word? That's why you no, explained to people so, that doesn't sound right. That's, that's, that sounds no, very bad. No, that's not that's <laughs> not right. Uh, I mean that passage <laughs> comes out of I don't remember which gospel it is. Do you uh, remember the centurion? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So there's a centurion centurion who comes <laughs> who comes to Jesus <laughs> um, and asks that Jesus come into his house and heal oh. his servant. Um hmm. And he says these, those words, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Don't come into my house, um, but only see the word and my servant shall be healed. And part of the reason we say that at Mass in that particular formulation is to, like, you know, circle back to Scripture. Um, but another reason is just as a reminder for ourselves that it's not us who's doing the healing. It's all God who's doing the healing. Um, at the same time, it's not like we can just say those words and presume that God has healed us and just go on our merry way. Like, that, I think, is the
0: sort (laughs) of
1: concern that we'd be fighting against. Like, God has given us a means by which our sins are healed, by which our bonds that are broken are rejoined, and that's in confession. Indeed.
2: And and it's important to know, with with that gospel passage, Christ doesn't enter under the centurion's roof, ultimately. Mm. He works grace, but doesn't enter under his roof. Yeah. So, if that's a passage you are leaning on in these times you're trying to discern whether you're worthy to receive communion at, at a given mass, remember that it's okay if you don't. Yeah. It
1: really is. It's all. It's actually, if you're in a state of mortal sin, it's way. It's infinitely better that yes. you don't. Yes. But please do not receive communion yes. if you're in a state of mortal sin. But the, the, ultimately, those
2: graces can still be participated in a, in a spiritual way without receiving. Spiritual yes. communion is yes. a thing that yes. people also don't know that Yes. yes. And that essentially is what Christ does in the healing of the centurion servant. He is present to that servant without being there under the man's roof. And so in the same,
1: we have to have faith that Christ will be present to us and our souls in the same way, even if, if we ask. We, if, we, if, if, we, if, we involves, if we ask him like, to. Inviting Christ to enter internally yes. into our hearts. And the Council of Trent says that it gives very similar and most of the graces that physical communion gives. Yes, um, I mean, not things. I don't think it gives things like remission of venial sin, which... Right. does give. Yes. Another thing that a lot of people don't know about communion, um, well, we've taken blood tangent, but it's a good one. It's a very good, it's, it's, a, use, it's a useful tension.
2: To draw it back around to Advent is just to talk again about the three comings of Christ. The, mm-hmm. We're on this topic because Advent is a season for preparation for the Lord's coming. And so that means preparing for the remembrance of his birth, yes. And very much preparing for the remembrance, for his second coming, preparing for, yes, it's almost a season of preparing for your own death almost. That's, yeah, I that was exactly
1: what you yeah. said, to bring everything oh, back sorry. to the. Yeah. Yeah. Bayes Kikari comment. Yeah. And Memento mm-hmm. Mori. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, we come right out of November, which is the month for the dead. Yeah. Straight into Advent. It's mm-hmm. a good connection. So the liturgical
2: year brings it all, it all ties it together. The the end and the beginning of the liturgical year are focused on the same things, because the end and the beginning of our lives at the church is Christ and his coming. So on that note, we will conclude with the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas. May the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us, O Lord, minds to know
1: you, hearts to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct conduct pleasing to you,
2: faithful perseverance perseverance in waiting for you, you, and a hope of finally embracing embracing you. Amen.